Welcome to I Caught It on Audio. This is Ride or Die Episode 5, Red Hot Chill Peppers, Part 1. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ride or Die, a 64 Tacos podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the band Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, in this episode we decided to split this one up into two episodes and this was the first one of it and we're going to be covering the band's first six albums i believe uh yeah red hot chili peppers freaky styly up the uplift mofo party plan mother's milk blood sugar sex magic and one hot minute and then we'll pick up with californication in the second episode so and take care of their 2000s and on albums so today we've got uh, myself, we've got Dan, and we've got Zach. And yeah, so where do we want to start with this one, guys? In the past, we've started at the very beginning. Um, other times we've started with the era that we grew up with. I don't really have a preference. What are you, what are you guys' thoughts? I say let's just go from go chronologically, start yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, that sounds right. good. Perhaps so, we'd better start from the beginning. Yes. <laughs> so the first album is uh, self-titled Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, and it came out in 1984 and was produced by Andy Gill, who is best known for his work with uh, Gang of Four, um, I believe. And <laughs> there was just the one single, Get Up and Jump, which is not surprising. <laughs> and it has Anthony Kiedis and Flea, you know, the, the mainstays of the band. And then also Jack Sherman on guitar and Cliff Martinez on drums. So what did we think of this one? I had never listened to this album prior to this. Yeah, neither neither had I. Um, I don't even know if I heard many of the uh, songs that were popular beyond the singles. Um, I thought it was kind of surprising that "Get Up and Jump" was the single when I when I kind of think that "True Men Don't Kill Coyotes" uh, mm-hmm. is is a little bit more of a of a pop pop song, um, or maybe even out in L.A. Uh, those seem a little bit more pop friendly or radio friendly to me true men um, don't kill coyotes was on the what's hit what hits greatest hits album yeah um as was get up and jump so i was reading anthony kiedis's book scar tissue and one of the interesting things about this era and we can talk about it more as we go on into the other albums but um emi their label uh for these first four albums was not really behind them very much. And they didn't really um, give them a lot of support and like promotion and marketing and stuff like that. And so I think that that's, that that's a lot of what we see here is that they were just trying to do their thing. And they were also, you know, very young and very kind of party animals and just having a good time and doing yeah. the band thing in LA was just kind of a thing that you did at that time to sort of pass your time and, and express yourself. Yeah. And that's, uh, that is very evident in this, in this album. Um, yeah. That, 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 none of that is a surprise at all. Like it was, it was kind of cool to hear, you know, when I first loaded the playlist up and true men don't kill coyotes coyotes uh came on and i I like that one Mm -hmm. but the rest of this album i kind of (laughs) hate um it just sounds like they you know went over to avril lavigne's house 
hung out in the garage, <laughs> yep. put a put one of those, you know, where you put the cassette tape in, you push it down, and then you hit play and record at the same time. They put that on top of Flea's bass amp, um, and then just said go. And that that was the result. That, that's how this album came out, and it sounded like Andy Gill hated every minute he was in that garage with them. Um, it just it just sounds terrible. I hate it. So it's it's uh it's interesting, Dave, that all all of your analogies about uh about songs involve Avril Lavigne. By all, I mean this is the second one mm-hmm. uh, that I remember. But um, uh, Avril Lavigne never crossed my mind. I think when I was listening to this album, uh, I'll put it that way. Uh, so uh, <laughs> my here, I I actually made an effort to to take notes this time. So I have I have a few things. Um, I also had not listened to this album at all. Um, before I. You used to have um, the What Hits uh, yep. album. And so I remember off these first few albums, n- hearing a couple of these songs here and there, just because yep. you would play it sometimes when we were hanging out. Um, and uh, I don't know if, th- if that's why I liked Get Up and Jump and True Men um, Don't Kill Coyotes. But um, I uh, wrote those down and the song Out in L.A. as the songs that I enjoyed. Um, and I didn't mind the... Uh, God awful named, which is a theme going forward. Grandpappy do plenty. Um, oh, I thought yeah. that was that was a, yes, a fun the, little thing, the little mental bit at the end. Yes, I, and that may be because by that point in the album, you're pretty much tired of uh, Anthony Kiedis's, um, you know, book, very limited uh, singing. Which what is I like not, to call uh, yeah. book report rap. Um, so yeah. it's it's very it's very uh, young and and infantile, and so it just yeah. it's it sounds like he wrote a book report and then he just started rapping it over top of some music. Yeah. Right, well, and it sounds like he's doing an impression of a funk singer. Is, singer is what he's doing. Well, but like the funk singer during the spoken word parts with right. no actual singing yeah. and rap in eighty four. Rap was was much more rudimentary in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So it, it's maybe it it sounds worse than it is. Um, perhaps, but it's just a lot of the same thing. In fact, what I thought, what I wrote down in my notes was, are are the first three songs the same song? They yes. all sound exactly the same to me. They are. Yeah. And then a couple more later on are the same way. Um, like I said, I liked a few of them. I didn't even realize that Why Don't You Love Me was a Hank Williams cover because it just sounds like another, another like boilerplate early Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Yeah. Um, doesn't make me think of Hank Williams at all. Uh, the first time we started to get some variety was um, was after the first get up and jump, basically. And I think the variety is just it's a better version of the um, of the earlier songs or songs two and three for sure. Um, and then, of course, uh, the very memorable. And that's good because it doesn't sound like the other songs so much, but pretty annoying. Mommy, where's daddy? Song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just oh, had an exclamation point beside that in my notes. I yep. was like, holy crap. I mean, I don't know if I hate it or I think well, it's kind of fun, but like, wow, it's it's, it's certainly creepy. I'll guess <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll say that much with certainty. Yep. No, it's it's not good. Um, I played that for um for Jamie this afternoon, actually. <laughs> yeah. just, just make it stop. Stop. Because you, you, <laughs> you hate your wife. That's why you yeah. did that. Well, I wanted um, to know what we wanted her to know what suffering I'd been enduring lately. So <laughs> I played baby appeal and mommy where's daddy for her. And it, yeah. Yeah. No, uh baby appeal 
that's the thing. There's the good versions of their sound at the time, which is only so good. I think like two men don't kill coyotes and get up and jump are okay. Like I don't mind them. They're like they they stand out among the tracks because you know they're they're the better version. But it's it all kind of sounds the same. And Baby Appeal is another yeah. one where I was like. This is just like no. once you're 30 seconds in the song, you're like, wait, is this different from the last song? I can't tell. So the only other notes I had were on the production. Um, the drums sound terrible. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's 84, but they don't sound remotely like funk drums. So no. I don't I, I I found the whole album to be really muddy and lifeless sounding. And like it felt like it was there was no like life to it. It felt like it was happening really far away. And I, the drums in particular, and like the, the bass should sound better, you know, like, like it just, there's nothing dynamic about the recording. Um, and uh, it didn't seem like they got along well with Andy Gill anyway. They were kind of at odds. So yeah, uh, th- <laughs> this, this album, a song or two is really all you need. And even then you don't need them. They're like uh, yeah. third tier Red Hot Chili Pepper songs. I think best. you're being generous with that. But um, <laughs> yep. yeah. So yeah, I, I thought it was pretty mediocre. Yeah, I I think that um, it, you know, like if you went to hear these songs in a concert at that time, you probably would have been blown away and just loved it. But I don't think it translates very well to recorded media. No, uh, I just don't think that they like. I think their energy and their stage per, stage presence and their live performance was where their game was at that time. And when they tried to commit this to the recording, it just didn't work. And yeah. it just and and I think yep. the the record company was also just like, well, what are we supposed to do with this? It's all over the place style wise. It just sounds like a bunch of a bunch of young kids partying and and making and playing some music and playing around on their instruments and that's that's all it is it's at best a recorded jam session rather than you know a a studio recording of of complete complete fully written songs yeah and and they're Um, not good they're not good songwriters yet that's just like the melodies are really weak Mm -hmm. there's a lot of let me just play this riff over and over again and then maybe we'll switch it up for the chorus and then switch right back there's just not there's nothing dynamic about any of it and Anthony Kiedis was um, like when the, when he they first started this band, he didn't actually want to be a part of it. He didn't want to be the lead singer, the lead rapper, whatever. But when he was uh, listening to the message by who said by um, Grandmaster Flash, I think mm, I'm probably yeah. getting that wrong. But yep. um, it, uh, he he listened to that track over and over and over again. He's like, Hey, maybe I could actually do something here. <laughs> and by just writing down some lyrics and then wrapping them out over top of some music. Yep. Um, and so he was very, very self-conscious about singing and, and it, it shows in these later albums, um, as you know, as we go through this, how it takes a while for him to really find his voice and, and start doing mm-hmm. the melodic stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, let's get into the next one. Next one's Freaky Styley came out just a year later. So I mean, they had barely evolved at all. But now we've got a new guitarist, um, Hila Slovak. Yeah. So he, he was actually the original guitarist, um, but he okay. what, he left to go do a different band with their at that time drummer Jack Irons. And so the two of them went off to do something else, and Flea and Anthony decided to recruit Jack Sherman and their friend uh, Cliff Martinez to um, to fill out the band. Okay. Uh, but then when this album came around, then Hillel came back, and they were they were all the the three of them, Anthony Hillel and and Flea were 
really good friends at um, high school. And so uh, they were really happy to have him back because they also felt he had a lot more energy and a lot of the right stylings that Jack Sherman didn't have. So, and you've got a huge name here for the producer. You got George Clinton, which you would think would be a perfect match for a band that's trying to come out with this big funk sound, right? Yeah. But but again, I they they haven't figured out how to write songs. Right. Um, yep. And there's definitely an improvement for, in Freaky Styley from Red Hot Chili Peppers. There's no doubt about that. Yep. But they still don't know how to write songs. I mean, Catholic Schoolgirls Rule is a song that's you know got to start, <laughs> middle, and end, but it's kind of creepy. Um, yep. uh, yeah. Especially um, the more you learn about where the, the more, idea yeah, came from, the, the worse yeah, it is. So. On that, but <laughs> we won't go into that. It's not to <laughs> know. Yeah. yeah. Um, like Black Eyed Blonde is terrible. That's a bad um, song. Yep. That's a bad song. Um, Jungle Man, I think, is the single, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. And Hollywood. Yeah. yeah it had yeah. Um, two singles. <laughs> and they're fine. Yeah. You know, um, but. And, you know, then there's, you know, sex rap. What the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Yurtle the Turtle is kind of interesting in that they, they, it occupies more time than the majority of the single, the, the songs on the album. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's just not good songwriting again. Yeah. The only two that I really, really got into were the Brothers Cup and, and Jungle Man. And, and yeah. it just barely at that, like it was like, oh, this is, and, and actually I think it was more from reading the book because I, I listened to all these earlier albums at first and I just got nothing out of them. And then I started reading his book and he starts going into the details of some of the stuff. And like the Brothers Cup is actually about them finding these weird little cups in some, some thrift store and then putting them in their, their leather jackets or whatever. And then they just started going around calling themselves the Brothers Cup. Um, so <laughs> okay. there was some of that like context that actually made it a little bit more interesting, but still like, I mean, I just, I don't need to listen to this album uh, no, much it, at all ever. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's hard to listen to. Um, I think Clinton did as, as much as he could with, with what they were at, the, you know, in their evolution, but they were, they, I still don't think they were ready to record an album yet at this point. Like you said, they probably had an incredible stage presence yep. and were, you know, filling up small venues. Um, but I'm not, not ready to record an album still. Um, yep. So, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, and it's funny, the, the ones, the ones I marked down as songs that kind of enjoyed a little bit were Hollywood Africa. Um, I liked Battleship cause it was basically a punk rock song. Um, that's okay. all I wrote down that I liked. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I, again, that's relative to the rest of the album. I, they did really lean. I, you can hear the George Clinton in that they lent, lean into the funk a little bit more. And there's a lot, a lot of horns on the album. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or more and, horns anyway. And backing vo- vocals as well. Yeah. A lot of the so backing vocals. Mm-hmm. It's a little more varied and interesting. Um, but you're right. The songwriting is not great. Um, the, the song Freaky Styley, for example, is just like it's the same bass riff for like two and a half minutes. And that's mm-hmm. it. I'm just like, this is not a song. Like, it's not like the lyrics are compelling. It's just like getting laid is all he's he's talking about, (laughs) which Um, man. So Anthony Kiedis, he can be, I don't know. I I really, maybe it's just the pure puritanical grew up in, you know, like a conservative area, but I don't want to hear about your dick. I don't want to hear about you having sex with people. Right. I just don't, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Like that makes me not want to listen to it. No, on these, 
these first three albums, it's like he got all of his lyrics off of the bathroom wall in a, at a fraternity yeah. and um, decided that he was going to do slam poetry with that. You know, it's yeah. like, what what the hell are you doing? This n- None of this is interesting at all. Yeah. Um, it's at best, I'm not being offended by it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm not like he he's free to do that. That's fine. Well, of like, course. Write about what you want to write about, whatever about what interests you write about what you know. Great. Maybe that's that's what he was doing. He was horny all the time. So he wanted to write about it. I just it just kind of puts me off where I'm like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to hear anything remotely graphic about sex in a song from anybody really like I, that's just that doesn't work for me so that kind of uh turned me off also the term scrumpin pops up <laughs> which i have only ever heard from like mid-90s teenagers at east kentwood high school in grand, Ab- in, uh, grand Rapids, michigan so i thought that that was interesting because i was like scrumpin who says scrumpin for 20 years um and then uh Another, uh, we got another cover, uh, Sigh and the Family Stone, but it, it just sounds like another like mediocre Red Hot Chili Peppers funk effort. Um, I'm prepared to blame Cliff Martinez for the drum sound because we switched yeah. to uh, George Clinton, who should know how to produce funk, and the drums still sound like ass. Um, yeah. Maybe not quite as bad because the album's a little more has a little more dynamic range to it, but they still sound pretty terrible. I'm only mentioning this because I love the way their drums sound later. Yes. And it, was a, it really puts me off. Cause like the best thing about the chili peppers is probably the rhythm section, at least over the course of their life. Cause Frusciani's in and out. And when that's, when that's sounding good, I can put up with, you know, a much worse song. Um, and the, right. the thing about it is I don't really hate Cliff Martinez's drumming. I think he's actually a, a pretty decent yeah, drummer. The fine. problem is it just doesn't sound good on the, on the albums. Yeah, no. It just, it sounds like, 80s drums that don't shouldn't be anywhere anywhere near funk. Uh, I don't ever want to hear 30 Dirty Birds again. I hate Ooh. that <laughs> so much. Yep. That's worse than Mommy Wears Daddy for my book. Yeah. Like, stop Mommy. talking. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. 30 Dirty Birds and on and on for like 15 <laughs> seconds. No, no, no. 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 I, I, I'll listen to Mommy Wears Daddy 10 times before I have to do well, that. I, I hate that be, so much. We're going to be over here for eight hours tomorrow watching well, football. So I, can I can Mommy Wears Daddy, but you mommy. and your wife, and you'll hate it. Where's Daddy? That's fine. About is, you'll hate I, it more than I do. <laughs> I appreciated the shorter songs on the song. Yeah, because well, they were, they were over, over and I could get away from well, it. Well, yeah. you know, I often like but their still. short songs because they're like a minute, you know, yeah. like, and they get in and out. And it's when they have five, like, sometimes I was, I'd check like my playlist and the song would start and be like, ah, oh, song kind of sucks. And I look and I'd be like, it's five minutes. And I'm like, oh God, five minutes. Did you, we need to devote five minutes to this song? No, we did not. <laughs> um, the uh, one little fun fact that I read off the Wikipedia was that, uh, first of all, they were getting high with Clinton all the time. And yep. um, right. he couldn't, they, at one point, he couldn't pay his drug dealer. So, and you're the turtle when he says the beginning, look at that turtle go, bro. That's his drug dealer being paid for the drugs by yes. being on the album. <laughs> <laughs> fun fact. Yeah. Right. This one, this one is maybe like 5% better. But maybe like it's yeah. it's really not much of an improvement. I don't think so. Just, up, uplift mofo party plan yeah. um, kind of just continues the uh, the same theme. You got fight like a brave, which is a pretty cool song. Yeah, but um, man, yep. and Jack Irons is is uh, is in, and you'll notice this, the drum sound is better on this yes. album. <laughs> yep, you've got better drumming with Jack Irons, <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, so this is back to the original lineup before they recorded the first album. This is yes. what they were touring with, um, originally. And, um, 
the interesting thing to me when I when I was listening through it is it um, it has like the guitar has a lot uh, kind of a metal. There's yep. a lot of metal thrown in there, and it yep. and it really reminded me a bit of like Faith No More with the kind of rappy metal stylings. Yep, um, I agree. And uh, and and I did find it kind of interesting that uh, Fight Like a Brave was the only track because I, I thought me and my friends and Behind the yeah. Sun were were actually pretty good. They're okay songs. Like they're they're not great by any any terms of of their catalog, but um, right. I can at least listen to those ones multiple times and not cringe. Yeah, so I, I liked me and my my friends in a in a in the sea of of boring you know uh, songs. That one was better because yeah. it had a more distinctive hook. Um, and it reminded me of later stuff a little bit. I also kind of like skinny sweaty man, but I think it's cause it was short. Yeah. Um, and behind the sun <laughs> was notable. Yeah. Well, it gets in and out and then you're like, Oh, that wasn't yeah. so bad. Uh, and then, uh, behind the sun was a genuinely different sound. Like they yes. sounded not like anything that had come before. And I, I quite like that song. It's not amazing, it, but it's good. It, I thought. Yeah, it had had more melody in a, in a sea yeah. of just rapping rhythmic stuff yeah, and, and some, um, some melodic singing. You know, from and, yeah, and from, Anthony, uh, is, Anthony is, is this is sort of like the turning point where he's actually starting to get more in tune with his voice. He's not quite there yet. But yes, he's he's definitely feeling it out and getting more like I can do this type of thing. Yep. Uh, we had another cover, uh, this time Dylan, Subterranean, Subterranean Homesick Blues. It's a terrible cover. Yeah. Not yep. um, yeah. Didn't really like is. it. And then, uh, oh my God, they always have to put a song that I hate. This time it was Special Secret Song Inside, oh, which was yeah. renamed on the uh, the label's request because yep. nobody wants to hear Party on Your Pussy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yet you have to hear it so many times. And I'm yeah. just like, this is peak. I hate Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. And it, it, I can't stand that song. I don't want to hear it ever again. <laughs> right. my t- I, I think Uplit Mofo has a little more variety. And so maybe it's, again, 5% better than Freaky Styly. Yeah. Um, but not great. I wouldn't spend much time with most of those songs uh, again. And and I will say this. As much as we don't like these little, you know, th- things that are cringeworthy and annoying and stuff like that, I do kind of appreciate that that they stuck to their guns and they did what they thought was, was good and right at the time. Like that, I mean, that's so that to me, like it wasn't it, clearly it wasn't, but to me, it's sort of, they're, they're sticking to their guns and they're, they're trying to be who they are. Yeah. And, 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 and I appreciate that from a band rather than, um, than just trying to do the thing that they think is going to get them the most airplay, the most listens, right. the most singles. Absolutely. The thing so. is EMI, and, and I agree. I totally think an artist should be writing the music they want to write, but there is no reason why we needed three albums recorded of, of this. Yeah. You know, there, there, this is, I feel like in the normal life of a band, you write those, those, you write these three albums, but then just one album actually makes it on, you, you write these, what, 35, 40 so odd songs but only 12 of them make the album. Yeah. And then you take those 12 songs from these three albums and you've got an okay first album is what it feels like it should have been to me. Like they should have been touring and they should have been refining their songwriting. And the, you know, the, these three albums should not have been written as three albums, but they should have been written as one album where you take the best tracks from the three. Yeah. It's, 
it's kind of like they just released demos, like they just exactly. kept demoing and demoing and releasing demos. And and, and and you can understand EMI's frustration because none of this is radio. I mean, there, there's no reason to put any of it on the radio. Yeah. Um, so I totally get it. I mean, whatever. Yeah, they're, they're a business, so that's the way they're going to see it, which makes sense but but interestingly enough they just kind of let them do whatever they want with yeah. wanted without saying eh, no you're you know you're not going to release this um we're going to wait until you have a couple more single worthy songs so i mean in that respect it's kind of like they just kind of stepped back and let them do what they wanted to do as artists yeah uh, which is awesome i mean good good for them but man yeah. it's it was a tough hour and two hours two hours worth of listening to get get through those three yeah um, and we should we should note at this point that um after the tour uh for um for a, a flip mofo party plan um this was the point at which uh hello slovak od'd on heroin yes. right uh, and then jack irons wanted to leave the band uh he actually ended up being in pearl jam for a couple albums later on oh, yeah. um but uh he left because he didn't you didn't want to be part of it because of the uh, because of that. So heading into this next album, Mother's Milk, we have uh, John Frusciante uh, popping up for the first time. Yes. And they also had to find a replacement drummer. So they uh, eventually auditioned and found Chad Smith. So you have sort of for the first time, the classic lineup. Uh, right. You know, the Kiedis, uh, Flea, Frusciante and Chad Smith. And yep. they, they said that they, they meshed really well with John Frusciante really like at, at the beginning, uh, he and Flea just hit it off and they would get together and bust out, you know, jam sessions. Um, they didn't hit it off with Chad Smith very well at first. They didn't really like him mainly because of his look. They thought, you know, he came in with a sort of like hair metal type of look and mm-hmm. they're like, this is not right for our, for our group, even though they really didn't have much of a, like you know, specific style. Um, but then he played and they're like, Oh shit. Yeah. This, yeah. we got to keep this guy. We got to, <laughs> um, yeah. no, because there's a, there's he's a just such a competent drummer. Notable <laughs> dis- difference in the quality of the, the songwriting and, and playing. Um, like flea is always, I mean, he's always been one of the great, great band, uh, bass players. And there's no question about that. Um, but now you've got Irons and Frashante, and then Kiedis is finally coming around to being able to sing yeah. um, with his, you know, with his singing voice instead of this. Well, we we already covered that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so you've got this incredible cover of uh, what Stevie Wonder's, if I'm not mistaken, "Higher Ground." This is their yeah. first very good cover, and they've been yeah. doing it over and over again. They finally got one right, but it's a great cover. I yeah. really love that song. Yeah, it's it's. One of my favorite Chili Pepper songs, um, and one of my favorite songs also. Like when I, I remember, I don't know when I came. You know, this is the first memories I have of um, the Chili Peppers is um, Higher Ground on the radio, um, and I don't know if I'd heard Blood Sugar Sex Magic. You know, the stuff from that first or what, but that was you know I really really like the Chili Peppers. Like I was, I instantly fell in love with them hearing hearing that song. And then, man, kind of the rest of the album is kind of a bummer. It's it's not bad. The songwriting is definitely better. I love Johnny Kick a Hole in the Sky. I just, um, and you know what the I'm <laughs> the cover of Fire is a disaster. Did yeah. you guys like it? I thought uh, it was okay. 
It's, um, it's so very the, fast. Yes. Yeah, the, the weird thing. So that's the only track with, I think, Hillel and Jack Irons. Yes. And I wonder if it was just like a live recording. I didn't look into it that much. I believe but, it was recorded for the EP they released, the okay. Abbey Road EP. It just and, feels kind of out of place because the production seems quite a bit different. Um, yeah, it's rough. It's very rough compared to the, the rest of the album. Yeah, um, it's on the Abbey Road EP. I didn't hate it. It did sound... Like they were, what they were doing with the covers before is just turning him into a like a bone stock sounding Red Hot Chili Peppers song, which just wasn't working. Um, mm-hmm. With higher ground, they elevated it by like sort of like adding like oh. the sort of like you know like like uh, like really aggressive guitar and like kind of like the the bass uh, the, the 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 slapping and popping on the bass mm-hmm. and that really cool outro, which is a thing that they really start getting good at. Like tacking on an awesome riff at the end of a song is something that from here on out they start to do more and more, which I quite enjoy. Fire the fire cover, it makes sense. I didn't know that, but I was like, ah, this this sounds a lot like the original. And Jimi Hendrix is not a great singer, so that works in sure, Anthony sure. favor. But it, it felt <laughs> it just felt rushed and a little a little rough. I didn't hate it though. I didn't I thought it was okay. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, loved Higher Ground. The rest of it's fine. Didn't really care for Magic Johnson. I thought that was a bit odd. Yeah, that's, um, a, weird that's a weird one. Yeah, <laughs> and and the, I don't like the Fire cover, but that's because I really like the Jimi Hendrix version of it. Probably so. That's that's better than the cover. That's, there's no doubt yeah. about that. Uh, the yeah. songs I have down as being good are uh, Subway to Venus, um, yep. Knock Me Down. I like that one. Uh, Johnny Kick a Hole in the Sky is cool. Of course, Higher Ground. And then I enjoyed punk rock classic because it's in and out, and also it uh, made me laugh at the end when they did put a, a the uh, sweet child of mine riff uh, tacked yes. onto the end there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, also notable, pretty little ditty because screw you, crazy town. Uh, <laughs> that's a fun little instrumental song, but now you can't hear that riff from yeah. Butterfly without being like, oh god, you know, like they just kind of ruined that. Um, yeah. It's a fun, it's, I think that's some Frusciantiism, like that sort of like, yeah. um, like kind of clean, like lots of little licks and, and stuff. Well, um, yeah. It, that, that song really like, um, showcases, you know, his chops as a guitarist and foreshadows, you know, the, the, the things to come and, and later mm-hmm. albums. Um, but one of the interesting things that I read was that, uh, Michael, uh, Beanhorn, Beinhorn, um, the the producer for this album, Mother's mm-hmm. Milk, he uh, he was at odds with John the, through the, throughout the recording because he wanted John to do things more metal, more distorted, more fuzzy, and John was like, "No, I just kind of want to, you know, plink around and, yep. and do do more of the pretty little ditty stuff." And so, um, but because of that forcefulness and that push, um, John didn't really feel at home recording this album and a lot of the like it tastes the pain i i really like some of the melodies on that song but it just feels so out of place like it could have been really cool if it was sort of dialed back and and let the guitar parts kind of breathe and and have have more dynamics yeah um and instead it's just kind of like this ah, fuzzy you know like just really over the top type of faith no more-ish kind of guitaring Mm -hmm. you know and B- Bainhorn uh, produced the last album. We were talking about how that had a more metal sound to it yeah. too. Yep. It yep. just seems to be. I think, I think he produced was, like yeah. like Soundgarden and other like you know heavier bands later on too. So that seemed to be his thing. But yeah, I think that's the beginning of Frusciante getting getting frustrated yep. in in the uh, the band, which culminated in him leaving for a while twice. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's that's in the future. 
Uh, you guys have anything else to uh, note about Mother's Milk? No. Nope. So, so up next is Blood Sugar Sex Magic yeah. and Rick Rubin, the, the hit maker. Um, <laughs> man, is this a good album. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap, is this a good album. Like start to start to end, I I will listen to every single song. I think, um, and there's a couple that are a little, a little tough, but yeah, I breaking the girl. Um, well, there's under the bridge, breaking the girl. Um, give it away, give it away. Yeah, holy my, cow! I like suck my kiss. Um, yep, I could have lied. Um, uh, I I have a couple songs that annoy me. Um, particularly Sir Psycho Sexy. Again, I don't <laughs> yeah. need to hear your. I don't. It just doesn't work for me. Also, it's like six straight minutes of that. It's, and uh, it's, it's eight, eight minutes, minutes in total. Well, it's yeah. six straight minutes of that, okay. and then there's two minute. There's a two minute part of the song where I'm like, oh, that's the best part of the song. Also, yeah. Anthony Kiedis isn't singing about you know having sex with a with a cop or whatever he's singing about you know yeah. right. earlier on. Um, so yes, yeah, for six minutes you're like, this is just plotting. <laughs> And like, you know, Suck My Kiss is kind of plotting, but like it, it's a better riff and um, there's a lot more interesting like guitar parts in it. Uh, yep. I, for me, this one's a little hit or miss. The highs are super high. And then like some of the songs, I'm it's they're either a shrug or they or they, or they kind of annoy me. This is my first interaction with uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was the video on on uh, MTV for Give It Away. That's my first memory of the band. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's them. They're in black and white, painted silver, jumping around yeah. through like the weird mirror, like, you know, flip, you know, symmetrical image thing. Um, I love that song. It's a really weird single, though. Um, <laughs> it's very strange. I mean, that's the band to some extent. But like with the with um, the mouth, the mouth harp, the little little twangy thing. And it's just it's just a strange song. It's a weird riff, but I just really works for me. Um, I also enjoy their Red Hot, one of their little 30 second songs. That's pretty fun. Um, and then uh, I, the, the, I, you can really tell the, the producer difference here in the way the drums are recorded also. Yes. Because Chad Smith is playing on Mother's Milk and the drums are way better. But um, they're also super reverby, like the snare was super reverby on that album, but it's much drier and, and cleaner in Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And this to me is like, this is like peak like drum and bass sound. I love the way they, they sound. Well, I, don't, you, I almost you gotta, don't care what's on over the top when those guys are playing together. You got to think, you know, Mother's Milk was recorded in in the basement studio at EMI. And then, man, they put out a really good song with Higher Ground. And then they went over to Warner Brothers and got Rick Rubin. And Warner Brothers was like, you know what? You're going to be in the big studio. And you're going to have all the good equipment because you had a really big hit with higher ground. They actually recorded it in some mansion. um, Yeah, I I read a little bit about that, too, just on Wikipedia. Maybe, you know, more. But yeah, it's it's just in they recorded it in the mansion that was supposedly Harry Houdini lived in once. Um, So they were going for vibes of some sort. And they they were mostly convinced there were ghosts and it was haunted. Nice, weird, but okay. Yeah, Aerosmith did that with, or something like that with uh, Rocks, mm-hmm. um, and you can tell with, with the sound of that. Um, but um, that's yeah, cool. I mean, the the production value is is definitely better. Um, there's no doubt about that. So, <laughs> yeah the the main the main difference here is that one they moved to Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers was actually 
um, like supportive and giving yeah. them, they're like, okay, we're going to do singles. We're going to do music videos or whatever you guys want to do. And then they brought in Rick Rubin and Rick Rubin. Well, I, I think he can be kind of a, a domineering, you know, beast at times. Um, he's you know also, what? they need that though. Yes. But he also steps back and he says, Hey, do your thing. And so they, they had a lot of time before they recorded to just kind of jam out and, and find their, find what they, what they wanted to sound like. Mm-hmm. And with, with Akitas getting more comfortable in his voice and, I, I mean, I got to tell you, like the, the, the lyrics on, on some of these songs are so honest and so vulnerable yes. without being like direct, you know, in your face and book reporty, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and I, I really love that kind of stuff. And, and the, and it's, it's got, the, it's got this just nice balance of, of like the really powerful, funky grooves. And then like the more ballady, soft, you know, um, yep. sing songy type of stuff. They were um, still, they were still pretty afraid of being too melodic as yeah. witnessed by one of the best songs on the album being, uh, pawned off to, uh, the Conehead soundtrack. Soul yes. Yes. Yep. What the um, heck? Yeah. I don't know how that song's not on there. Like they had, they didn't have that many melodic songs on there that they couldn't have fit one more, but I, yeah. I love that one. Uh, that's, that's, the the, oh. the bass the bass playing on that song is so tasteful and and awesome and sort of builds over I don't know I love that song yeah, I, I love I love listening to Flea that's one of my favorite Flea uh, bass lines. To be fair, they did fill every minute of a CD at seventy three minutes and forty two seconds. So yeah. Yeah. now you you keep um, sold the squeeze on this album and take off um, Sir Cycle Sexy. Maybe you know, if you if you yeah. put in yeah that that song's kind of pointless. Um, that that's that's my feeling on it. But if you put in Soul the Squeeze and then like trimmed it to make it sixty minutes, this would be one of the best albums of of the entire nineties. As oh, it is, it's, it's really good. There's a few songs I can take or leave, but they're they're learning how to write good melodic interesting songs like breaking the girl the production of it is so interesting with the with the flute and the and the really sort of like um natural sounding percussion so yeah, then the, well and then the, the the bridge with all the banging uh clanging yeah. uh, on pots and pans and stuff they just brought in metal a bunch of metal chunks and just hammered on them really yeah <laughs> that's awesome, that's awesome. It, yep. it, it has a really distinctive sound and there's something really fascinating about that song i, I always like hearing it uh, i do want to mention at this point that it took me an embarrassing amount of time to realize that the song suck my kiss uh was actually about uh uh giving a blowjob uh, <laughs> right like, you know it's kiss instead of dick right that's that's right. The, the conceit but like that never occurred to me when i was 12 when i first heard the song you, you were today today years uh, old when you heard sure, when you figured sure. that out <laughs> you know a number of years ago i was i was certainly in my 30s i thought about it again i was like oh but like i mean i could have figured that out at, at 18 i just in my yeah. mind it was suck my kiss that's a weird yeah. way that's, oh, that's weird that he he really wants to like your your yeah. your your mouth was made to suck my kiss. Oh, that's a weird way to ask for a kiss. And like in my brain, it was that, and I just shoved it, was, it in the back. And then suddenly, I was like, "Oh, that makes more sense." Yeah. Sweet summer child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was I was too innocent. Yeah. And then I figured out. I was like, "Oh yeah, that makes way more. That makes." Me. And also, what am I thinking? It's Anthony Kiedis. Of course, he's talking about his dick. That's what he does. Yeah. That's what most of this he album. Does. That's yeah. all he does, pretty much. Yeah, there are about so, four dirty songs in this album. Where I was like, man can you just dial it back a notch or two and make, i can enjoy the song a lot more if you would but hey he does he does what he believes in and that that's well, that's there's something admirable I, you, about that 
I mean, you can't give him a little bit of credit for this one because it's not quite as overt as it well, was. This, yeah, talking about kiss. Yeah, talking about kiss. Yes, he's uh, getting more poetic about the dick sucking yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, 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 <laughs> Apache Rose, this. Sir Psycho, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic. He was a little less uh, circumspect uh, in what he was trying to say. He he's now it. on Steven Tyler's level of subtlety. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tyler is sometimes more is, is rarely as unsubtle as. Uh, as a uh, Kiedis can be at times, you're like, man, did, did you, you know, your mom's going to hear this album, right? Like that's, that's a thing. Like this is right. not just a secret that no one's going to hear about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, this is a great album. Um, there's a good case to be made that this is the Beth Chili Peppers album. I, uh, I'll it, go I, as far to, as to say it's better than their greatest hits album. Their, the what's hits album. Oh yeah. You, yeah. you put higher ground on yeah. this album and it is definitively better than uh, what hits. Yep. Um, I, I would agree. Well, the people liked it because I think it was seven times platinum. Seven times platinum, yeah. So selling so, rhymes, selling yeah. rhymes at that. Yeah. <laughs> seven times. Oh. Okay, so now we get to move into the the dark ages. Well, <laughs> well, well, so Frushanti, not, not, not really. But. We should, yeah, we should mention Frushanti got really freaked out by be- them becoming famous basically yes he, yeah. uh, well there there were two things so in the book uh Kitas talks about how he was he was not liking the the, the quick rise to fame like o- overnight they went from this sort of small subtle funk uh, pop rock group to just this massive alternative um band and recognized everywhere they go and so that was that was really hurting him a lot but then there was this rift forming between Kiedis and and john john and anthony they um they just because of what was going on with john and how he was just not taking to the whole fame thing um he was oftentimes sabotaging their their performances Hmm. he would go out there and he would play something different or he would not play it like uh, you know he would just sort of kind of jam it out or or improv and um there there's an interesting uh i went back and watched it but there's an uh, interesting performance on snl where they did under the bridge and um he starts playing the riff at the beginning way, way different. And Kiedis is just kind of like taken aback and, and eventually he sort of finds, you know, he finds the key and he, and he's, and he's able to sing along and stuff, but they're all just sort of like going opposite directions. And, and the interesting thing is at the time, I think people, people really hated that performance and thought, Oh, you know, that's, there's something wrong in this band. But then you go back and look at it as like, "Mm, this is, this is kind of cool. Like they're, you know, it's, it's off, but they're they're still doing their thing and it, and it still works as a song yeah. um but so because of that that rift uh anthony was really getting on john's case a lot of time uh, making a big deal about how you know all these people are coming here to pay money to see us uh, at these concerts and we need to give big them a good too. performance and yep and so they uh um at at some point they, I think they fired him. I think they said, you've got to go. Um, and so he took off and, and then they're like, okay, well now what are we going to do? And so they, they looked for some other, um, uh, other, they, they got Eric Marshall, uh, a guitarist from some other band. I don't remember what it was. And he toured with them for a while, but he just was not the right fit for them to actually like write songs. So when they started to sit down and try to write songs for their next album, uh, which would eventually become one hot minute, um, 
both he and like I think two other guitarists that they that they tried to bring in, they just couldn't get the right vibe going. Yeah. Uh, you know, Flea would Flea would try and jive with the person, and be like, "Hey, you know, come over to my house. Let's let's jam out some songs," and either the person wouldn't do it or they just wouldn't it wouldn't work. Um, and so then they found Dave Navarro from. Uh, I mean, they'd known him from Jane's addiction, tour, from touring with Jane's addiction. And, um, and I think Chad Smith was actually working with him on, on some, um, some other projects as well. Uh, maybe around that time or maybe a little bit later, but they, uh, the point is they knew him and, and, uh, they brought him in and it, they started to, to jam with him and, and they thought that he was a good fit. And so that brought us to the writing of one hot minute. Unfortunately, Anthony Kiedis was going through a lot of problems with, uh, drug use. And so, there was there were delays and delays and delays and and um they basically got all the tracks done for for this album recorded except for his vocals and he kept kind of putting it off and saying oh i'm sick i'm i can't do this or whatever and and it wasn't until he got clean um and went to rehab for a while that uh that he was he went into the the studio and and uh did his parts and they were able to finish it up in 1995 early 1995 there's definitely a, a tone shift. Um, oh yeah, definitely. with this album, it you, you for Shanti, there's no doubt he was a big, big influence in the uh, songwriting in the in the previous two albums, um, and so with his absence and now Navarro's uh, stepping in, you can you can hear Jane's addiction in this album. There's yep. there's yep. a lot of lot of it, um, and you know he he had a big big influence and this is this is one of my secret favorite albums from <laughs> from the 90s i i have just this weird affection for this album you know just like secret samadhi and just like pinkerton yeah. it just kind of has this weird i i get i totally get why it wasn't as popular as as their other stuff but there there's just just something special about it and maybe it was I was 16 when it came out and music was so exciting and I got to drive around with my friends and put CDs in the disc man and plug it into the tape deck. And, you know, <laughs> this was, this was one of the ones, you know, but there's, there's something special about this album to me. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up as well, that, um, this is, this fits into that interesting category of the previous album was massively successful. Mm -hmm. And then this follow-up album, um, was, it, it just didn't resonate the same way with the fans, you know, whether it was secret Samadhi, uh, Pinkerton, um, yeah. I think Pinkerton, maybe a little bit less. Cause I think fans still, still kind of liked that one. Um, but maybe even like, uh, smashing pumpkins, a door, you know, the, yeah. the yeah. previous album was just so big. It was so okay. huge. And then they're like, okay, now what do we do? And it's like, it's it's really hard to live up to that level of success. Exactly. Uh, in some ways, John Frusciante was actually the smart one because he's like, "Well, this is this is it. You know, we, right. we gotta <laughs> I gotta get top. up. Well, well, the getting's good. You know." Yeah. So I wanted to, to what, note one one thing about um, the end of the Frusciante era. Uh, I think what I read was that um, he, his his erratic behavior and sort of lack of desire to play along kind of peaked at a show in Tokyo where he said he wasn't going to go out and then they convinced him to go out. But yep. he said that this is the last show and then walked off the stage and, and was gone for, you know, seven years or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think he quit. Um, and then they had to find somebody to cover. And that's what these other guys were. They had to cover the rest of the tour. And, and then, then was the whole search thing. So I just wanted to mention that, but 
Um, yeah, this is this this album is um, man, the first like six songs or so are gangbusters. I think yeah. I, I love. I love the beginning of this album. The production is I'll, great. I'll go into seven with one big mob. Honestly, it's, it's seven, one big mob is the last song I love. Uh, yeah. so all the way through one big mob, you know, even with like I think P pops up in there. P is the little, six, yeah, yeah, the, the little uh, the little bass and, and flea <laughs> singing thing. Uh, we, we used to sing that 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 song oh, all the time. So I, I love that one. Cracks me up. Uh, but that the first seven songs, then fantastic. And I feel like it really starts, it's really front heavy. The back half is not nearly as memorable. And, you know, I really admire the vulnerability and openness that, um, for example, on Tearjerker, that uh, mm-hmm. Kita shows when he's, he's clearly feels deeply. But man, that is some of the worst singing. Um, <laughs> like, I thought he was past, like, really struggling with, with melodic yeah. singing. But man, that, that one's rough. I can't, I have trouble listening to it. Um, and from there on out, uh, I think uh, I think of the last songs, the only one I really enjoy after One Big Mob is Transcending. It's strange because it's it's I really like the first half and I, I like the second half, but it's a big dramatic shift halfway through. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe that's part of the theme Transcending or whatever. But yeah, the first seven songs in Transcending are are just awesome. I I could, I don't need to listen to the other songs ever again. Like walk about to your jerker one hot minute falling from grace and shall will be that game. Eh, I, I could just never hear them again and I'd be fine. They, they don't do, do much for me. I always liked uh tear jerker. I thought that was a pretty, uh, pretty cool chorus. Um, oh, it, it, it's, 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 it's a beautifully written song. I, his performance is my only complaint. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, it just doesn't work for it was me. Written about um, Kurt Cobain because when they were, they, when they were, um, meeting they kept they had all a bunch of meetings in in hawaii to um uh discuss the album and and do some jam sessions and stuff and uh and that while they were there they got the call that um kurt had killed himself hmm. and so he wrote that song about about kurt and uh this was shortly after they had heard about their friend rivers river phoenix um mm-hmm. also uh dying of a drug yeah. drug overdose so oh, there like, were there was a lot of uh, sadness and grief with their their friends dying around yep. them. Um, no, like I said, I admire the openness and the song's quite beautiful. Uh, just the singing, I just I, I I just can't get past it, you know. And yeah. you know, maybe he wanted it to be raw and rough, and that was the point. But it it doesn't it doesn't work for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everything else is about it is is good. Like the song is pretty. I just the singing just bu- drives me crazy. So I'm yeah. just like, oh, I can't, I can't, you know. What but, do you guys think about walkabout with those weird like monkey noises? <laughs> and I'm a walk, I don't walk about. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't even know what's making that. Is that Dave on his guitar, like like sort of pushing, like uh, going back and forth on the strings or something? I, I just I can't figure it out. It's really I, I don't know. But speaking of Dave on his guitar, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave Navarro. I think sometimes it works great. Like the like aeroplane is awesome. That's maybe oh, so good. Top, top five aer- uh, Red Hot Chili Pepper songs ever. Mm-hmm. Love that song. The, the the sort of like metal like psychedelic guitar is is pretty great on on when it works. Um, I don't think it's better than Frusciante, but it, it's a, it's a slightly different thing, and it and it's really cool. But after like the fourth or fifth song, I was like, hey. 
Dave. Um, so you know that you're now that you're in a funk band, that doesn't mean you have to use wah on every right. song, right? Yeah. Like, at can, every we, moment. can we dial back wah on every riff? Like, he was he, he and he just wahs his way through the whole album. And I don't yeah. know if that's like that was just the way they were feeling, or if you thought, well, I should. He, he writes some, you know, okay little funk riffs, but he feels like he has to, he has to wow the crap out of it. But um, I think it, when it works with Dave Navarro, it's great. And yeah, then sometimes yeah. you're like, eh, this just doesn't, this is, this song doesn't work. It's not bad. It just, it's just nothing special. Well, he, I, I think his style is nothing special. I think, I think he's just, he's just a, a kind of by the numbers type of guitarist yeah he's, he's a classic rock guitarist in, who plays grunge music yeah it's fine in jane's addiction it's fine in all the other projects he's he's worked on it's just yeah. i think chili peppers need a little bit more than that well, it's, it's it's crowd pleasing guitar but yeah what makes this part of the secret sauce that makes the peppers interesting is the frusciante weirdness which yeah you know it, it on a sort of like if you asked sort of a layman, oh, is this is this guitar better guitar player better than that guitar player? They might choose Navarro because it's sort of more ob- sort of obvious playing. But what makes what makes uh, Frusciante so interesting is is he he just does he just does slightly different things and un- and surprising things. And that that when you combine with the great rhythm section and you know Kitas can be a bit hit or miss, but um, mm-hmm. when, when it's all working together, it's great. And that's kind of how I feel about the band in general it's like man some songs i'm just like oh geez guys and then like other songs i'm like oh this this is this one of the best bands of the 90s you know like (laughs) it's really good when it's really good yes all right well unless there's anything else you guys have i think that's gonna wrap us up for this uh first half of this um of the chili peppers yeah i think i think that covers it so we're hopefully gonna get the uh the second half which will start with what is it? Californication and yeah, move yep. on through through the new millennium. So at this point, would you guys all say that Blood Sugar Sex Magic is your favorite of this group? Yes, hands okay. down, without yep. a doubt. Yep. Um, One too. Hot Minute has a special spot in my heart. Yep. Um, but you can throw away the the first four. The only thing uh, I need is higher ground from the first yeah. four. Which you can get um, on what hits. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's I think, it. I think what hits, you know, whether or not you had Blood Sugar Sex Magic on that album, I think what hits has, you don't even need what hits, but nope. you yeah. just need higher ground. But what hits has in, has a sampling, and that's and that's plenty. Like yep. I, those albums, I, I won't ever deliberately listen to full albums. The only one I might is Mother's Milk. Um, I think that's that's definitely the best of the four. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think what hits covers it well enough. Yeah, and honestly, I I, I distinctly I, I I couldn't find the what hits CD anymore. Like Dan, we you and I have t- said you know I had that album. That's how we know these early songs. Yeah. But I must have sold it or gotten rid yeah. of it or it you know it broke or got thrown out the window or something. I don't know. Yep. Um, but I had no intention of replacing it because I already had. Um, the best stuff Blood on what Blood hits sugar is, sex magic. So. Yeah, the best stuff, not counting higher ground on there, is all on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's th- that. I think that's the best one so far. You know, if 
If uh, the back half of one hot minute lived up to the first half, I feel like it would be it would be surprisingly competitive. But yes, I think it fades more. Blood sugar sex magic isn't perfect in my mind, but it bounces back. It bounces back with good songs every time. I'm like, oh, that was okay. And then the next song, you're like, oh, that's right, suck my kiss. This is awesome, you know. Right. So it, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, it's definitely the best one so far. I would say. Yep. Yeah. All right, we're gonna call that an episode. Um, we'll see you in the next one. I caught it on audio. (laughs) 